The Brandon Peters Show may contain explicit language and detailed plot points. For more information on the show, stay tuned to the end of the episode. Brandon. Welcome back to the Brandon Peters Show. I'm Brandon, and this is Scott Mendelson, acclaimed writer from The Rap. Uh, he was waving for the audio only, folks. Um, <laughs> so today, the uh, seventh and concluding chapter in Tim Burton's big retrospective. Tim Burton. Concluding meaning the retrospective portion because we're going present next time when we discuss the Netflix series Wednesday. Uh, but today we're covering three films. I believe they killed off Wednesday in the last episode. Yeah, that's going to be weird what they do. Maybe they'll bring yeah. Thursday in for the next yeah. one or something like that. Or the but the multiverse thing they did was really yeah, strange. Yeah. Um, and uh, okay, so uh, today the last episode wasn't two and a half hours long. Oh, yours was two and a half. Mine, you must have been one point five speed because mine was like four. <laughs> you got the Snyder cut. I did get the Snyder cut. Uh, so uh, today we're talking Big Eyes from twenty fourteen, Miss Peregrine's Home for Peculiar Children from twenty sixteen, and Dumbo from twenty nineteen. Uh, but first, uh, we have another music video. Uh, this the other killer's music video he directed for the song Here with Me. Don't which has in it, it has a cast, Eiko Haruyuchi, uh, Sabrina Lacordier, Glenn Mexted, Craig Roberts, and Winona Ryder. Winona Ryder? Uh, Winona Ryder. Uh, so it's a thing that shows a boy having a crush um, on a wax figure of his beloved this girl that looks like Winona Ryder, or as I call Rival. this, as I call this, Tim Burton's mannequin. <laughs> That pretty much sums it up. I mean, it's it's certainly, I don't want to say it's more humanist, but, you know, unlike the last video we talked about, which was had a bunch of skeletons playing in a rock band, this one is a little bit more, you know, human relationship centric. Right. And yeah, you know, granted, she's a wax doll or a mannequin or whatever. And he's Gru from the Minions movies, like Rise yes. of Gru one, or he's that kid from that weird horror movie, Burial Ground. Do you ever see that one? Yeah, I haven't. But it's... oh gosh, it's this adult guy. He's got like some sort of like condition where he like is older than he is, but he looks like a little boy. Um, and he's it, this movie's about him and his mother is really weird. It's a zombie movie. Check it out sometime if you're a cult movie enthusiast. Will do. But um, yeah. but yeah, it's it's it pretty much speaks for itself. It's a four minute music video. I don't want to spend ten minutes talking about it, mm -hmm. but. 
it's always a treat to see Winona Ryder. And again, it's, it's without getting into the discourse too much. Yes, she got screwed over after the shoplifting thing, but she never really disappeared. She was always around. Mm-hmm. You know, whether it was, you know, uh, the private lives of Peppa Lee, whether it was Black Swan, whether it was a glorified cameo in Star Trek. Um, she did the Stallone one uh, with Jason. Oh, Statham which is a weirdly mm-hmm. great Franco, movie. Yeah, I like. Yeah, that, that, that was movie, yeah. 2013 Homefront. Mm-hmm. Yep, the Jason. Yeah, it's it's and she's terrific in it. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and and I've I've talked about this a lot. I think the problem is they just stop making the kind of movies that she used to star in. You know, Hollywood doesn't make and hasn't made for a long time movies like How to Make an American Quilt and uh, Welcome Home, Roxy Carmichael yeah. on a regular basis. And because Hollywood sucks, once she eventually aged past, you know, 35 or whatever, she was now too young to be the love interest in, you know, an Adam Sandler comedy or a whatever drama. Yeah. And so she was no longer that kind of flavor of the month. Well, like her big um, show, showy movies were like Edward Scissorhands or Bram Stoker's Dracula. Like they were still they were very uh, they were like, let's let the creators go and give them a bigger budget this time around type movies. They weren't yes. your like franchise. It wasn't like Independence Day or those type of movies it was oh big name director got to, got latched onto a project and it's going to be kind of weird and stuff uh it's gonna be you know i'm in it oh. uh and that's that was because like, normally she was doing what reality bites she was doing a girl interrupted yes um, and that was one of her last major starring vehicles that you know and the movie's still very good but it got completely overshadowed by that, like, louise oscar-winning performance yeah, she had that um, that Lost Souls movie, I believe. It yes, was like a horror movie. Yeah, that was a nothing burger of a picture. Yeah, but I and mean, that was a lot the, of what she was doing. Yeah, was most you know. of these films were not box office hits, mm-hmm. and while she was very respected as an actress, especially among those who paid attention, you know, she she wasn't, you know, unfortunately, you know, it, it, to a certain extent in the world of Hollywood, actors, you know, and actresses being treated as they are, you know, you're either Meryl Streep or you're constantly fighting for respect. And, you know, you're either Amy Adams, or you're Ilsa Fisher. Right. And there's not a lot of in between. Um, but and, anyway, I'm getting no, I mean, way off the plot. There aren't a lot of like Kate Blanchett's that just yeah. they have rocked staying power somehow and still make the pictures that they would like, still manage to get the pictures made that they always have made. Um, she's and get, get that way. She and she, you know, I, I loved seeing her in uh Destination Wedding, which was a very small indie comedy she did mm. with Keanu Reeves. Oh, yeah, uh, yeah, it's yeah, yeah. very funny, it's very quirky, it's very much playing on generational nostalgia. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, I mean, I don't know why she hasn't shown up in a John Wick movie. Um, yeah, that's interesting. Think there'd be a certain, even just as a favor. Yeah. Or maybe I mean, she doesn't want to. Maybe she doesn't like violent, that's true. Maybe violent she's gun movies. Yeah. Uh, but she's having a good um, resurgence. I mean, in Stranger Things, um, it's been very good for her. She's very popular. Um, my son thinks she's cool. Like he's seen, like gone back. We've, had movies with her in it and he's like oh yeah yeah, went on writer so she's hit a younger um, generation that can go back and check out her movies so that's no nah, but yeah she has been perennially underemployed since around 2002 ish but i do think it's more complicated than she got caught shoplifting and got blacklisted from the industry right right um 
I think she took some personal time off during that period. But and when you do that in Hollywood came, and you're yeah. a woman, <gasps> again, we found yeah, by the time she else. came back, they didn't make those kind of movies anymore. And she was too old to be the hot girlfriend. Yeah. Even though. But she had like Mr. Deeds was like, hot. Mr. Deeds was like. That was like her, right after the shoplifting thing, and which it? I think she had already made the movie. And that was sort of her. Okay. That was even that was an unusual part for her because it was such a mainstream picture and it was such yeah. a she's just the girlfriend kind of thing. But her being in that role made it a slightly bigger event. Oh, yeah, it was. A, yeah, it was better than it could. I mean, because you see Adam Sandler movies with, you know, the, the type that are there. And yeah, she's definitely a standout because it's Winona Ryder and she, yep. she can just, you know, give me what you got, you know, and that, you know, that's fair on Sandler to let people be themselves uh, when they are some have that ability to do it when owner does and others just that is one thing that even in the movies that i wasn't crazy about and i'm not huge on adam sandler's you know pulpier comedies Mm -hmm. he generally he and will ferrell have always been very good about letting everyone be funny on screen yeah i love jim carrey but that you know jim most jim carrey movies he's the only thing funny on screen true very true Um, um, but yeah, so uh, yeah, yeah, that's the Killers uh, music video. It's a pretty solid little ballad. Um, the song is kind of weird, you know, hearing the word "cell phone" in the lyrics, but <laughs> uh, you know, you got to go with the times. Like, uh, uh, forget there was a "My Morning Jacket" song that had something, yeah, inter used the word "interwebs" in lyrics. I'm like, well, we have to kind of get that. That is life. Like, an art reflects life, and people, you know. It's like hearing stuff about books and things uh, and lyrics as well. But our first movie is, um, I'm going to, considered <clears throat> one <laughs> of Tim Burton's best films here. Who said that? And it was on oh, the box. Oh, shit. So I said that. If you, if, you, if you have the slip cover, it's up here. And then if you pull it off, they move the quote and it's it's lined up differently oh. here. So uh the the person, yeah, Scott Mendelson of Forbes. Oh I hear he that knows was a shit. lifetime ago when you were that was Forbes. like a month ago. So yeah, um <laughs> he said that about 2014's big eyes. Seventeen million dollars. The art world is above. She was the real artist. They adore you, big eyes. He was the con artist. You're like Warhol. Uh, Warhol's like me. But one woman will speak the truth. If you tell anyone this empire collapses, I'll talk as loud as I want. Tim Burton's best, most triumphant film is now nominated for three Golden Globes, including Best Actress Amy Adams and Best Actor Christoph Waltz. You don't even know what the truth is. Big Eyes, rated PG-13. Which uh, was written by Scott Alexander and Larry Karaszewski, or Karaszewski, uh, starring Amy Adams, Christoph Waltz, Kristen Ritter, Danny Houston, Terrence Stamp, Jason Schwartzman, and John Polito. It's a drama about the awakening of painter Margaret Keene, her phenomenal success in the 1950s, and the subsequent legal difficulties she had with her husband, who claimed credit for her works in the 1960s. Uh, this this thing had a production history. Uh, it was originally supposed to be produced in 2008, starring Kate Hudson and Thomas Hayden Church. Uh, then in 20, there was like a, I believe the writer's strike hit this. They said a, a Screen Actors Guild contract problem, but I bet that was due to the writer's strike. Uh, and then in 2012, Burton came on to produce uh, and it, would st- it was going to star Ryan Reynolds and Reese Witherspoon. But 
time passed. Burton decided to direct, and we get Amy Adams and Christoph Waltz. And honestly, I I can't see the Reese Witherspoon edition with Ryan Reynolds of this. I can sort of I well, I don't know. I can see, I don't know. It, I I can't see it's other than these that the two. project kept getting older in terms of the leads. Right. Yeah. Like and I, more quote unquote prestigious. And this movie, um, they're they're so good. I can't. I don't want to know what the other ones look like. Like yeah. this is, this um, is, uh, yeah. I mean, this is. I would say this is by default the most atypical Burton movie Burton's ever made. That's not to say it doesn't have his themes. It's not to say it doesn't have a certain production flourish. That doesn't, you know. It, it obviously there are certain mm-hmm. actors that. I mean, how is Kristen Ritter not part of the Tim Burton players? Well, I mean, I'm asking like that about. Tim- Anya yeah. Taylor Joy, like I bet, I bet, I bet her voicemail is like, like locked or like full from Tim Burton calling and be like, "Hey, what's up? How you doing?" <laughs> um, but that being said, it's it's this, there's no fantasy in this picture at all. Um, I mean, the, there are visual flourishes and what have you. Well, there, yeah, there's like but, a, a moment where like you know she sees people, dream yeah. sequences, and there's a moment where she looks in the mirror, but. And this Always. is an entirely grounded set on planet Earth based on a true story movie mm-hmm. uh, shot in color, for what that's mm-hmm. worth, um, starring actors that have not worked with and have never, you know, and wouldn't you wouldn't necessarily expect to work with Tim Burton. And he knocks it out of the park, frankly. Mm-hmm. Yeah, this is where I he mean, starts with Terrence Stamp. He'll go on to be in a couple more, but like, yeah, but yeah, this is uh, this is a terrific, terrific little movie. Oh yeah, yeah, um, and I think it it's was, the one that a lot of people missed and still have well, missed, and that's why yeah. they go, "Well, oh, Tim Burton you, you doesn't do it like he used to." Yeah, yeah. Again, when you don't see big eyes and big fish, and you just you only watch Alice in Wonderland and Planet of the Apes and maybe Dark Shadows, then yeah. Um, to be fair, the film had a low profile. This was back; it was a Weinstein Company film back when Weinstein was not exactly kicking ass and taking names. Mm-hmm. I mean, let me put it this way: in three years, Weinstein would be so far, you know, from his prime that people would be willing to, you know, throw him out of Hollywood. Well, here's the thing: this is back when uh, Lionsgate was starting to like sell off like everything. So they used to produce their own home media, like their physical yeah. media. And this one we got here, this is when they started uh, going out to Anchor Bay and they were putting out their movies and then Lionsgate were putting out the movies and then they auctioned off it all and this company called yeah. Echo Bridge in Canada had some. Their catalog is now running around with like um, uh, Paramount. Like it, So right now, like the they're kind of similar to the Artisan catalog when um, that fell apart and Lionsgate bought the whole catalog. But uh, their movies end up, they have ones that are Miramax with Disney that they still have. And some went back to Buena Vista for that. Uh, Some that were Dimension Pictures through Buena Vista or through Miramax. And those are with Disney or around. And then they have Dimension with Weinstein Company that's different. And then they have the Weinstein Company with Miramax. It's a mess, and their their yeah. films are littered. <laughs> they're littered everywhere around uh, for home Do and streaming. You remember what hap- What was happening in the world when this film came out over under Christmas weekend, two thousand fourteen? Uh, was the was that the uh, uh, the shooting? The no, believe it or not, this was not a shooting for once. Um, this was the week, give or take, two weeks, two three weeks, where Sony got hacked. By oh, somebody. okay, okay. 
And they had a shit ton of their emails leaked online and everybody in the press treated it like a feeding frenzy. And there were some emails that made people look bad. Amy Pascal actually stepped down as, as sort of the head. Tom mm-hmm. Rothman stepped in. Um, and then some group somewhere basically claimed credit for the hack, claiming they were part of the North Korean government right. and threatened further violence and retaliation if Sony's The Interview, which that was, was right. comedy yep. featuring James Franco and... Uh, Seth Rogen as mm-hmm. two crappy journalists who end up interviewing um, uh, the the head of North Korea, and then they're recruited by the CNA to try to kill him. Um, the film was pulled from theaters as a result of these, you know, threats, mm-hmm. partially because once one theater chain, Carmike, I believe, old, then basically everyone else, almost from a legal liability issue, kind of had to. And it went to like if, digital on demand, right? Yeah, yeah. It was available on like VOD or, you know, within like two weeks of this crap going down. Like, well done, Korea. People still saw it. Well, yes and no. I mean, they lost a ton of money on the film. Obviously, they lost a ton of money and blood and treasure from the hack. Right. Um, And I honestly think that there is a, a connection between that and what we see in terms of a decline in Hollywood producing decent budgeted original politically conscientious studio programmers right because why risk it for some dumb seth rogan james franco comedy if things might go to hell and it might imperil your spider-man film yep um again i did that might just be you know causate correlation not causation or coincidence but you know the timing matches um because by 2016, I was doing lists on, gee, are there any big budget original films that might break out this year? And I wasn't finding very many. Hmm. Um, hmm. But anyway, this was one film that was sort of lost to the crowd during that that chaotic yeah. moment. Uh, I'm not saying it would have been a big, big blockbuster otherwise. I mean, Amy uh-huh. Adams is an acclaimed and often nominated actress, but she's not a butts and seats opener. No. The one exception might be Arrival, maybe. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. But but and, uh, you know, Christoph Waltz is certainly not a butts and seats opener, even though no. you know we all know him and like him. He's won two Oscars, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah, this was very much a one for me Tim Burton picture. Yeah, um, yeah, it's a good story that I don't know if people remembered or anything like that. So um, it's wonderfully told. It's got some nice visual. It's got a an energy to it, a a, a pulse. Like it's not just like here are these events. It, you know, it's got a bit of style. It feels, it, it feels, uh, of its era when you're, when you're seeing things and he, he knows how to balance like a vibe, um, with it, not with it feeling both of when it happened, but also being modern told and having his stylish touches here and there and his framing uh his framing skills and stuff are present um as oh. well also in terms of its commercial viability i mean it's entertaining and enjoyable but it's mm-hmm. not fun to watch you're basically no. watching this woman being you know emotionally abused and or glorified gaslit for at least the middle this hour. was gaslighting before it was a keyword yeah, yeah. Like, i mean this is, i mean this <laughs> i this mean call film... it what you will but it's not you're basically watching this this innocent woman being emotionally and mentally tortured for a good hour and change Yeah, before she eventually, you know, what's the cliche comes into her power, I guess. Right. Um, 
So, I mean, it's not something that I, I mean, again, it's good. It's fun. I like it a lot. I think it's a terrific picture, but it's not a pleasant, relaxing Saturday night watch. No, um, visually, it looks like one. Uh, but And also, but- it's one of those weird true stories where, like, it's so absurd that people, you know, from what I gather, the actual true story is crazier than what we saw on screen. Oh, geez. Yeah, tone it down. Um, yeah, they actually had to tone down some of the weirder stuff. I mean, he was even more of a, allegedly, he was even more of a, you know, over the top, mm-hmm. you know, goofball than he's portrayed in the picture. Yeah. Um. I mean, there's some good suspense here, too. Like when she discovers under the crack and, and stuff playing differently than I think, like, because there's that part where she discovers the name under the watercolor. Uh, she pulls it open and she arrives home and sits down and he's got she's like sitting there and it's like right there behind her. And you're like, oh, yeah. crap, oh, crap. And then she confronts him with it. I, yeah. I was like, oh, I figured she was going to try to get away yeah. uh, with with not seeing it. But like he confronts with it. But, um. you know, Walt has that. God, that energy he's gotten in Glorious Bastards is right here on display. As but this time he he lures you in and then becomes that. And it's on. it's without being sledgehammery about it. It's another story about exposing the cracks in suburbia and or conventional nuclear yeah. families. Yada yada yada. The idea that he basically can morally justify everything that he's doing because he is. Mm-hmm providing a home and what have you to this single this divorced single mother yeah but i mean Um, you know what what is good what is cool though is he bookends it because we start with her having the strength at a time when it's not regular to get up and leave her husband yes and so eventually you know it's there that she has the strength again to leave him and even probably even worse scenario than what was uh Um, before but it is a fascinatingly atypical burden picture. And mm-hmm. that's neither criticism nor compliment. Although, you know, atypical is always nice. Um, and it's just a really, really, really good movie that yeah. where he doesn't really rely on very many of his tricks and tropes and cliches. Mm-hmm. Not that there's anything wrong with those when applied accordingly, but it is it was wonderful to see him getting out of his comfort zone, even more so than something like Big Fish. Right. Um, right. And I wish it was a bigger hit because yeah. then theoretically he'd get to make more like that. Right. Well, we thing- wouldn't be having conversations about fucking Beetlejuice too. Right. Well, it's crazy because this one had a lot of award season love from everywhere but the Academy. Like, yes, I, I think the this was the Birdman year. Um, mm-hmm. And I think between Whiplash, Imitation Game and Theory of Everything, they're like, uh, sorry, big guys. Like, I feel no, like it, those... It, it, those the reviews the were good, but they weren't overwhelmingly superlative to the mm-hmm. point where it would become a major contender, which yeah. is unfortunate. Because, yeah, in the early going, it was like, could this be the one that finally wins Amy, Amy Adams or Oscar? Nope, it's Julianne Moore. It, she finally won her She <laughs> yes. finally won her Oscar for Still Alice, um, which she, a, she's, a, she's very good in. That movie yeah. is just kind of, well, it wasn't up for Best Picture, so... <laughs> It's it's one of those movies, quality notwithstanding, because some of them are better than others, that seem to only exist to win the actresses' best actor Oscars, actress Oscars. And to be fair, because of the obvious gender-specific bias in terms of critical establishments and awards places, you often have a situation where the the film that wins best actress is only up for best actress, basically. Right, right. While the male-dominated dramas, you know, tend to be more likely to compete in the best picture race, right? Because in this some is, years more than others. 
This is the year Michael Keaton should have won for Birdman. But yeah, how um, the fuck does that win Best Director without him winning Best Actor? How does that happen? That does, doesn't make any sense to me. <laughs> Regardless of what you think of Eddie Redmayne or the theory of yeah. everything, like how do you award Birdman, which is basically a one-man show, yeah. the Best Picture Oscar, but give the Best Actor Oscar to somebody else? That was like anyway. a, that was like Dune, which was uh, nominated for a fuckload of Academy Awards, but apparently wasn't directed by anybody. <laughs> you didn't get the best. Okay, yeah. No, I don't believe oh. Danny Villain. Was that the? I think that was the movie that was like all these things. There's were always there, a few of those. Like, but no, no director. Yeah, you know, especially when they've expanded to you know eight to ten nominees or whatever. Yeah, but that was always interesting when it was just five nominees because you usually have. Mm-hmm. You know, one or two where it's like it was you know, a face somebody, off. It was a real yeah. face off. Yeah. Like, um, but anyway, uh, Big Eyes is a terrific picture. I wish how did, people had seen it. Box office, uh, Scott. box office. Let me yeah. look that up. Hold on. I think it did like 13 over. Yeah, it did not. It did not do well by any stretch of the imagination. But it I mean, was I mean, one of the I were, year's best films. Yes, I would say or so. Tim, or Tim Burton's best film. Sorry, not the year. <laughs> well, I, I think it might have made my list. I don't remember. Uh, yeah, it only I, did I $30 million dollars on a combined budget or on a budget of. Whoops. Hold on. Budget. Oh, it only cost $10 million. How did it only cost ten million? It's not that. I guess I mean, it, well, it made money. Okay. Tim, Bur- Tim Burton's a guy that can make ten million look like fifty. Like, yeah, I but he usually and... gets fifty. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Um. Anyway, whatever. That's neither here nor there. Right. Uh, it's a very good movie. I wish it had done better. Mm-hmm. But again, it was sort of. In fact, it was slotted in over the Christmas weekend after the interview got bumped. Gotcha. So it was sort of the well. There's a slot here. Might as well. Um. Well, that's a good segue, Scott, because our next film got bumped around a lot uh, before it, it finally came out. Uh, we're, uh, of course, referring to Miss Peregrine's Home for Peculiar Children. If this is how you're feeling, it's time to be peculiar. He's invisible. Of course. On September 30th. This is even the fun part. Do you want to see the fun part? Tim Burton invites you. My main skill is the manipulation of time. To discover your power. Let's see what you can do. This Peregrine's Home for Peculiar Children. Made PG-13. September 30th. Written by Jane Goldman. Based on a novel by Ransom Riggs. Is that a Mel Gibson alias? Weird name. Is it a Mel Gibson alias? (laughs) <laughs> just wondering just wondering uh starring eva green aza butterfield samuel l jackson chris o'dowd ella purnell judy dench allison janney rupert everett lauren mccrosty and terrence stamp when jacob discovers clues to a mystery that stretches across time he finds miss peregrine's home for peculiar children but the danger deepens after he gets to know the residents and learns about their special powers. And uh, this is the one I dubbed Tim Burton's X-Men and hell <laughs> Jane Goldman scripted it. So come on, yeah. right? Like, uh, no, that but, should have directed days of future past and exactly. apocalypse. Exactly. Uh, but and this is a adaptation of a young adult novel. There were three books at the time for it. 
Uh, now there's six. There's two separate trilogies, I guess. Uh, and there was a graphic novel adaptation for it already, too. Um, I got, I saw, when I saw the trailer for this one, I got pretty excited for it. I was like, this looks like fun. This is like Tim Burton messing around again. And I, I'm a pretty solid fan of this one. I think this is a fun film. I, I really, I really do. I think it is a, in a sea of dumpy young adult stuff being all around, I think this is a standout, but it came out when I think everybody was already, I mean, this movie did well, but like, I think in terms of just when it came out, it, it was just like another one rather than being one of the first fresher. Um, I think this is just a film Burton wanted to make. I don't think he was after the young adult flair. I think he just wanted to make it. And I'm I'm saying this off memory, so I could be mistaken. But I think it's one of the bigger grossing of the deluge of post Harry Potter yeah. fantasy franchise pictures. It did like 280 worldwide. On yeah, a, it, it was well, one ten inch budget. It did over 300. Uh, oh, fair enough. I think it, and, it it opened against Deepwater Horizon, and it went open to like. T- Look at me doing the box office, Scott. What the hell? I, I don't even have it open, <laughs> and I'm knowing this. So it, uh, yeah, it. Okay, so it didn't quite get to th- 296 million worldwide. Yeah. Um, or yeah, oh. and then it did 87 here and 209 overseas, opening to 28 eight against uh, number one against that was Horizon. a really ugly fall season. There were just a lot of brutal flops. And that was one of the biggest grossing movies of the post-summer pre-holiday season, almost yeah. by default. Well, it got moved. Like I said, it moved around. So it was supposed to be summer 2015, got moved to spring 2016, then went to Christmas Day 2016, and then no, and then it got bumped back up to September uh, 30th of 2016, uh, which um, Christmas Day 2016, it would have been going up against uh, Rogue One, I believe would have been the the movie yes. to see then so that would have been brutal that's probably um, why it moved they yeah. probably saw this opportunity there and um yeah um yeah i mean i i i i like this film it's a solid three-star picture it's a wash in atmosphere it's mm-hmm. got lots of good actors that are giving it their all i think some of the kids are more interesting than others and and yeah but you'll get that yeah. i think the movie's at its best because basically it's 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 a YA franchise fantasy. It's a riff on X-Men. And it's it's a character piece about these young children that are stuck in this very grim situation in, in the in the heart of World War II. Mm-hmm. And I think when it emphasizes that, it's quite strong. Yeah, yeah. And it, it doesn't hurt that it has uh Eva Green with like blue hair smoking a pipe. <laughs> Indeed. Not bad. Um which is funny because I've now, in the like, in a matter of a couple of days, I've seen two movies with women smoking a pipe. This one, and then Amsterdam with Margot Robbie smokes a pipe. Uh, that's a thing, I guess now. Um, but no, I, I think this one's got like really cool like visual flair, and like it's him flexing his own chops in different, fresh, new ways, rather without relying on anything. It's got a big scale, like when they're boating yeah. out and then going in the house through the house and i like how he films the floating girl a lot that's really nifty um the glow in the dark samuel L. jackson villain with the eyes he's got like big like you cast a shapeshifter that shapeshifts from samuel L. jackson and allison janney like i forgot allison janney was in this yeah. um because it, yeah it's just kind of kind of interesting here um but 
I, I like what like Terrence Stamp has here. It's a, I, I like this this kind of universe. I don't know that it's been like five movies with it, but I like it for a movie. Um, and I like the time loop thing. It's it's just I have a lot of fun here, and the right people are in the right places. It's a setting that's not overly used, especially in big budget films. Um, uh, with everything like that, but like, yeah, I just this works for me. Like, it's 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 rock solid. And I think I believe it was pretty decently reviewed at the time as well. Uh, mixed positive, mixed positive, yeah, like like a mixed um, positive. Yeah, it's it's it's. I think it it like a lot of franchise pictures like this. It gets into in its own way sometimes when it's doing the world building and the franchise building and the you know expository mm-hmm. monologues right. and what have you. It's one of the only films where you, there's almost too much of Sam Jackson talking, yeah. which, isn't, which isn't something you generally say about most movies. Yeah. Um, well, he's actually playing a, a character, and not a Sam Jackson type. You know that too. You know he is the film's heavy, uh, and I think the third act. You know, action finale is goes on way too long. It's a bit repetitive. Um, and but it is a self-contained picture. Mm-hmm. Um, I think they, you know, for better or worse, they knew they weren't going to get a sequel. So the movie ends in a way that it can be the end. Yeah. Which since we did not get a sequel, that's for the best. I um I, I think part of people's I like, you know, not that people weren't checking out this movie, it made plenty of money, but like I think it was America, like it looked too fresh and new like i think that's part of the the thing with that like well what is that how does that relate to you know it it looked it looked too much of its own and doesn't look like a lot of anything else so people won't run out to check it out like it's hard to sell new to people nowadays they want ips they got and and it's kind of they want something that's pre-digested yeah they they want to know what they're going to feel like when they leave already like that's part of the problem with you know and that, that was something nowadays. that we were starting to notice in 2016. We yep. had films like Passenger and Collateral Beauty that were like being torn to shreds and held up as the craziest, most ridiculous thing ever because you know their plots were not pre-digested. They were yeah. not. They did not uh, come on a silver platter explaining to you how to think or feel about them. Un- unless kids fucking ragingly love a book like a Hunger Games, they're not going to go check out something brand new. And again, this is a this is a, a YA franchise that did not have marquee characters. Yeah, it did have. Fact, it was a big time bestseller. It was on the yeah. list for like seventy two. Some it was on the like it was quite a successful but, you know, book. It's, it's, it just yeah, didn't it hit just, pop but, culture beyond that. No, and nobody was going to race out to see the you know the journey of Jacob. Yeah, um, yeah, which and this, the fact it, that. It, funny Ozzy Butterfield this was because he didn't get Spider-Man yeah um he was here and the fact that it did as well as it did I think it was partially due to Tim Burton making a YA fantasy adventure film about these creepy crawly horror-ish outcasts Mm -hmm. that was sort of like you know as you said and lots of other people too it's Tim Burton's X-Men yeah that was enough of a hook wasn't enough to sustain a franchise, but for one movie, it's fine. Yeah, I don't, I don't see, I didn't see anywhere where they were planning to do more. Even I'm sure if it if it would have been super successful, they'd have talked yeah. about it. But this looked like a one and done, and it's yeah. it's, it's narratively focused as that. Yeah. Even though it does have the world building, I think that's to we have to understand what the hell's going on here. So, so it's kind of a necessary evil in this. But yeah, I I think yeah, there is about probably ten minutes excess. Here, man, maybe seventeen, because it's a two-hour and seven-minute movie, right? 
yeah, it's 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 a long. And again, I think There's the probably third a, act, yeah, is longer and more actiony than it needs to be. Versus faceless CG things yeah. that that kind have of be, that have better scenes earlier in the movie with them than yeah. than the first end. But I, I like the finale. Is it, it feels like it, well, it has it. It feels like it's trying to be something different with that, where it has the uh, the whole in the ring of the circus uh, the the thing with how they're trying to tell how this finishes out rather than duking it out. But um, yeah, no, it's cool. I I think it's got some eerie thing like taking the eyeballs out and stuff like that's cool um but yeah no it's it's a it's a cool movie i i think it's rock solid good time um but uh we, yeah, we already talked the box office for it too already woven in here so uh without further ado scott let's our final film uh in the retrospective going back to disney with dumbo Everyone remembers the moment they fell in love with Dumbo. On March 29th, a Disney legend returns. You have wondered. Magic. For a whole new generation. You can do it, Dumbo. Show him. Dumbo. Rated PG. March 29th. Written by... Oh, Aaron Kruger. <laughs> he made uh, Arlington Road, didn't he? I'll always have that. He's the guy that when they Kevin Williamson walks and he comes in the door after, you should run. Um, <laughs> Aaron Kruger from a novel by Helen Aberson and Harold Pearl starring Colin Farrell, Danny DeVito, Eva Green, Michael Keaton, Nico Parker, Finley Hobbins, and Alan Arkin. Teaming back up. First time since what? Edward Scissorhands, I believe. I believe so. A young elephant whose oversized ears enable him to fly helps save a struggling circus. But when the circus plans a new venture, Dumbo and his friends discover dark secrets beneath its shiny veneer. Uh, This is one of five Disney animated films that were redone in live action in 2019 live action because the lion king's one of them there's that aladdin counts. aladdin uh maleficent mistress of evil and lady Which and the tramp fucking rocks, on disney plus on disney plus but maleficent not lady the tramp lady the tramp yeah. sucks yeah disney uh, maleficent's mistress of evil is awesome right uh this movie also originally had will smith in it uh he had to leave oh that's uh, right uh, but wound up joining Aladdin. Then they they went to Bill Hader, Chris Pine, Casey Affleck, and then like, yeah, uh, Colin Farrell's all right. Let's have him over. Um, so here we are again uh, with Tim Burton and the Disney animated a live action uh, with Dumbo. And this was a... Oh, let's big... get ready to Dumbo! Oh, man, does that make your eyes go all the way at the back of your head? <laughs> it was one of those great I'm getting old moments, or I am old moments, when the new trailer to a Tim Burton movie debuts during the Country Music Awards. Hmm. Yeah. Um, oh. Yeah, so this one, yeah. Big disappointment for Disney. Um, uh, no, this was not a success. It only did about, 
350 I mean, worldwide on a 170 budget. Yeah, it ooh. sounds good at the end of the day. Like, yeah. Oh, 350's not bad. Oh, they spent how much? And it's Disney, yeah. so you know that marketing cost is in there. To be but. fair, the money is more or less on the screen. You have a oh, no. entirely CGI main character who does not hide in the shadows in any way, shape, or form. Um as far as the live action remakes go, this is an interesting one for two reasons. First of all, it's a two hour adaptation of a 65 minute movie. Right. Well, and and it's different. It's not exactly. A well, the first act is basically the movie in a nutshell. Right. And then it goes off and, you know, does two hours of Disney is evil, run away, run away. Poor Fox getting caught in its, its, uh, whatever's. I mean, this is either the most naive, and just whatever blockbuster of our time, or it's the most laceratingly self-critical blockbuster of the modern era. Right. Um, this entire film, which was o- released right as Walt Disney was buying Fox and it would eventually strip it for parts, all due respect. Mm-hmm. Um, and this is a film where a down on his luck circus lucks into a, you know, a, a, a pot of gold, for lack of a better word, in the form of this baby elephant that can fly. And then this big giant corporation circus led by Michael Keaton comes in and offers to buy them and take care of them. And no sooner is the contract signed that everything goes to hell because, spoiler, Michael Keaton's corporation is evil as hell. Yeah. Do not fucking trust Mickey Mouse. <gasps> That's the yeah. moral of Mickey of Walt Disney's Dumbo. I would say it's naive, Scott. Uh, <laughs> um, yeah, it, it's insane that this came out of Disney and it's like, wh- oh, okay. Um, there, there were a number of their, I wouldn't necessarily call them live action remakes, whatever, but like Christopher Robin, Mary Poppins Returns. Mm-hmm. Um, well, much lesser extent, uh, 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 The Nutcracker in the Four Realms. Yeah. And of course, Dumbo, that are these period pieces that deal with labor rights, union you know, the, the 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 evil corporation crushing the little guy and then fighting for fair wages and yeah. all of why Disney was the giant corporation crushing the little guy, <laughs> refusing yeah. to give people fair wages. Right, right. I mean, you've heard horror stories of you know people who work at Disneyland sleeping in their cars because it's they can't afford to live in and around Anaheim. Yeah. Um and I don't mean to make a light of that. That's an awful situation. It's an immoral outrage. But you know, it's 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 somebody at Disney is either aware of this or gleefully unaware. Yeah. And I'd like to think it's at least somewhat people, you know, filmmakers that are aware that the call is coming from inside the house. <laughs> um, <Yep. laughs> um and of course, in the three years since this film, almost four years since this film came out, Disney bought Fox and shut down Fox 2000 and basically stripped the studio for Disney Plus spinoff parts. Right. You know, um, and, and again, some of that, to be fair, was that people stopped going to see regular movies. So the films that you know, Fox would put out in, say, 2018... You know, they you give Bad Times of the Old Royale, Love Simon, uh, Widows, The Darkest Minds, etc., etc., etc. Nobody showed up, right? I mean, they had an entire slate of what you say you want in theaters, and the only hits they had that year were Deadpool 2 and Bohemian Rhapsody. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'd like to think, and maybe I'm naive too, that if those films were still making money in theaters, that Disney would have kept making them, right? I don't know. 
Yeah. Um, that being said, again, you know, as 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 a movie that opened when it did, it's it's it was shocking then, and it's even more shocking now. Right. Um, but in politics notwithstanding, it is a relatively good, well made, well acted picture. Colin Farrell is very good in it. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, everybody's. Good. I mean, Keaton's probably he's hamming it up a lot, a little bit, yeah. Yeah. And, you know, more um, towards the end, um, but you know it. it we give these like Disney live action remakes a lot of grief, deservedly so, because a lot of them just kind of come across of, like a bit lifeless. But this, I mean, this thing is, while not like a super good pick, it's it's a fascinating one because of the reason you said, but it's also visually not dull. It's got depth to the image. It's big. It feels like a big movie. And the, the uh, freaking circus town they go to is really cool. In a way yeah. that, in the way that, like, uh, Zemeckis Pinocchio's was, eh. <laughs> you know, yeah. like, oh, God, yes. It, and I think to a certain extent, it is the kind of movie that, you know, it's a, it's a, well, you know, it's a grounded, a, you know, character driven movie movie about real people and real problems that can only exist because it's also a Dumbo movie. Yeah. And I think, However much I'm splitting airs here, I do think there's a difference between the remakes like that versus something like Aladdin or The Lion King, which is just, you know, there's nothing there other than nostalgia and recreation. Well, it's funny because, like, this movie looks and feels so much bigger than, like, Aladdin, which is this one that's supposed to be cr- mm-hmm. uh, spread across kingdoms and deserts and stuff, and it feels kind of small. Um, yeah, I mean, it's it's it's... I will slightly defend Aladdin because I think the well, four actors are very good. And well, I'm a person a that doesn't energy, hate Aladdin but, either. I, I would probably say that's one of the better ones. Um, but I'm just talking from a visual. Like, I mean, no, no, they, you're right. They have, you know, Guy Ritchie helming that thing. And, it, and ideally, he it could try seen Sherlock Holmes. I've seen his other movies. His smaller movies feel bigger than that one. Yeah. Like, it's, it's weird. So at some point, somebody... Somebody get somebody in the producer realm gets involved in these, and they weren't a part of Dumbo. Yeah, apparently whoever's heading up some of these because they can't control all five at once. But and I, I'd like to think that people involved in Mistress of Evil were like, ah, "Fuck it, just do whatever you want." But you know, here's two. Tim probably got to be let go on this one because they're probably he made a billion with Alice. Yeah. let him go. We'll we'll focus on the other ones and then although you know, he's been talking of late that he was not happy with the experience he'll never work for disney again hmm. now okay well. last words huh. um but that being said the you know the film as it exists doesn't seem compromised in any particular way no i, I don't um, like the third act just gets into that it's again the whole thing with alice versus the big cg thing it's a bit yeah. overdone this escape thing's a bit overlong um, I think it'd been more effective as a more low key tell off thing than a big burn it all down act. Oh, ha ha ha! Like I, I feel like something to get under this rich guy's skin that he'd have to forever live with, rather than just damages to his property, yeah. would have been far more effective. Yeah, no, I agree with you on that. Um, and I had a thought, but I lost it. So keep talking while I remember. Okay. <laughs> Uh, um, your thought that Tim Burton, whenever he needs a ringleader cast, goes for DeVito? Is that what? 
Yeah, well, that's the other weird thing about the film. And, you know, there's nothing you can really do about this, but it's like DeVito is sort of understandably an antagonistic villain in the opening act of the picture. Yeah. He's basically an abusive, you know, animal trainer slash circus. But he's not Michael Keaton abusive. But by the end of the movie, he's basically being portrayed as an underdog hero. But he's kind of he's he's the guy who's learned like that. And to a point where Michael Keaton never did. DeVito's still Um, got a chance. Yeah, and that's fair. And it's, 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 you know, by the end of the film, just the color palette is much brighter and more colorful and more mm-hmm. aspirational. Yeah. You know, it's, it's, it's because Fox is broken free and they're making Gore Verbinski horror films that no one's ever going to see again. Right. They're going to put their breast <laughs> predator movie in years or on the yes. screen. <laughs> they're making the mouse guard, people. <sighs> they're bringing oh. back Fox 2000. We um, still have Searchlight, though. So that's yeah, we do. As long as they keep winning Oscars and or, you know, or delivering first... hits like the menu. So hey, <laughs> yeah, I guess. Um, and you know, when the Fox deal was first announced, as you know, in theory, in late 2017, I don't want to say I was optimistic, but I do feel that you know I was sort of hopeful that okay, maybe Disney just want partially wants their you know their foot in the movies for grownups thing. And they would use Fox to corner that marketplace as well. And in terms of being at the Oscar table, which Fox and Searchlight usually is, while Disney usually is not. Mm-hmm. Um, and again, I don't know how much of what happened was a matter of, you know, the the you know, Michael Keaton coming in and burning down Dane DeVito's circus versus the changes in the marketplace just between 2017 and 2019, 2020. And then of yeah. course, COVID making Disney Plus a priority, blah, 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 blah. Right. Um, I just I'm old enough to remember when when Night at the Museum made more money than any X Men movie ever made at that point. Yeah. Um, and now it's it's a cartoon, you know, legacy sequel on Disney Plus that no one will watch and will be forgotten about in 48 hours. Yeah, yeah, that's yeah the sad sad. Reality. We didn't listen to Dumbo. No, we didn't listen to Dumbo. Or yeah, Mary and Poppins. and now that we have such a or huge, Winnie the Pooh, we have this huge collection of these. Live action, like I, I honestly think I'm like, yeah, I think Dumbo's one of the better ones. It might be by default. I mean, I like, I like, I like and Jungle them. Book I mean, and Pete's Dragon are yeah, high up Pete, for me. For me, my top three by a wide, well, by top four, and I think it's by a wide margin. You know, Pete's Dragon, Cinderella, Jungle Book. Oh, Cinderella, Mist- yeah, Mistress of Evil, which is just fucking. Do you count nuts. that because it's a sequel? Like, we, it, we it are, is. Go in the retread, like, okay. Um, because like, like, that's fair. They got I mean, to toss out the boring. Technically, one. you know, Wallace in Wonderland's a sequel to Alice in Wonderland, so in a strange way. Yeah, yeah. Um, and you know, I don't know what the hell you know Oz the Great and Powerful applies, but when that came out, that was sort of seen as the next logical progression after Alice in Wonderland. Um, and but yeah, Mistress of Evil. I mean, that one's just bonkers bananas fun. Yeah, I mean, it's like, you know, I, I still feel that when you watch the second act of that movie, which is set in a very Pandora-like world, you're like, this is their plan B if if Avatar flew two flops, isn't it? I'm just <laughs> going to turn to Pandora into Maleficent world. There you go. There you go. Yeah. Um, not that anyone in this room is expecting Avatar 2 to flop, but I digress. There you go. Um, well, it, it will probably, it will already, already be playing when this drops. So. It will? Yeah, it will. Or it'll be the opening weekend of it, something like that. That's where we'll be with this one. Uh, well, uh, yeah, because it this episode, if you're listening to us right now, 
It is the 19th of of uh, December. So, yep, uh, right after its opening weekend mm-hmm. when the kids are just starting their Christmas break. And Twitter goes, I can't. Wow, it made money. I can't believe. Who'd have thought? Who'd I mean, I'm, I'm I'm still seeing articles in the New York Times today on the 30th of November when this is recorded, doing the whole Avatar had no pop culture footprint thing, which I wrote about eight years ago, and it hasn't been true for at least four of those years. But nonetheless, if you're going to write that article, maybe you do it before the film comes on the tracking boards with a guesstimated over under $160 million opening weekend. Also, um, people are right. That I'm like, I don't think you've been to the theme park before because people go exactly. That's part of what the, changed. Yeah, you go eight. I mean, you go there. People are wearing those ears everywhere. Like the the, the merchandise, the merchandise, like the gift shop place with the like our stat, like with people trying to buy stuff, not just the merch, yeah. but uh, that and... those rides have forever and a day long waits. Those are fast pass or genie pass rides i yeah but yeah so and i mean you know i wrote that in late 2014 and by 2018 i was like okay it's gonna be fine and i think partially you know four years after that even the very things that we and uh, mia culpa would talk about in terms of avatar not having this huge footprint and not being this hugely monetizable property and just being a movie are now like a fucking badge of honor yeah now that's what everyone's nostalgic for. Yep. That's all right. But anyway, back to Tim Burton. Anyway, not Avatar is Tim Burton uh, with Dumbo, but, uh, but but talking about people and their... So this this didn't get really good reviews, but it walked out with an A- minus cinema score. So nah. people... people yeah, they're okay with it. Um, but yeah, um, Scott... We, Delved a little in the box office. You want to go a little more on that? Oh, this it one? opened with a $48 million opening weekend, which was not good considering the relatively large budget and the expectation that it would not have super long legs. But of course, it opened right in between Captain Marvel and Avengers Endgame. So Disney was okay. I uh, did 114 domestic, 353 worldwide on a 170 budget. And I wrote about this at the time, and I think still think applies. It was a good example of how, you know, again, it's the specific versus the the generic. People didn't necessarily want live action remakes of Disney movie tunes in the abstract. Yeah. They might show up for Aladdin and Lion King and Beauty and the Beast in the same way that just because people showed up to Tim Burton's Batman doesn't mean they were going to show up to the Shadow and Dick Tracy and the Rocketeer. Yeah, well, yeah, because this one, Dumbo wasn't always, like that was like the, oh, yeah, that oh, I remember that one. I might as well pick up that one, too, type thing. It was yes. never in the A-list with Sleep- I mean, well, it's, it's Sleeping a very- Beauty is a cult classic Disney movie. That was not a... Time has changed perception on that, but that was not. But it, yeah, but I'm I mean, trying it was, like it was Cinderella, Snow White, Peter Pan, Pinocchio, and then like Dumbo was like down like Jungle Book. Yeah. It was probably with Jungle Book on a tier. Yeah, probably more uh, recognizable. To be than fair, Jungle, Jungle Book, Book made nine hundred sixty-six million dollars. That's yeah. sort of the exception to the rule in terms of what does. But that was awesome. But they you know, were oversaturated. They weren't yet. Yeah. Do, we already had at this time. We did we have Beauty and the Beast when Dumbo came out? Yes, no. we did. Wait, yes, I'm yeah. sorry. yes, we had so now uh, there and Aladdin was coming and it was like it was like, yeah, we're getting the ones we really want. Yeah, to see this done too. and uh, you, you 
I remember in, you know, Cinderella in 2015 and then Jungle Book in 2016 and Alice to the Looking Glass wasn't great, but whatever. And then Pete's Dragon at the end of summer 2016, it was like, are these going to be good now? <laughs> yeah. And then Beauty and the Beast, never mind. Tales all the time. Indeed. Um, so, yeah, I mean, it's, 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 it's a, I don't know what he's doing. You know, obviously, he just finished doing the first four episodes of Wednesday, mm-hmm. the great acclaim and ratings success. You know, if you're listening, you know, it, it's, we're recording this one day after the ratings for Wednesday were released. And according mm-hmm. to Netflix, for what that's worth, it had more viewership for the first week than any English language television show ever in its opening week, yeah. besting even the fourth season of Stranger Things. Not a huge shock considering all the elements in play. You have, right. Well, I don't want to skip to what we're going to talk about next week, but yeah, I was not surprised. Right. I mean, it, yeah, everything with, Every little trickle of that brought excitement, like it seems. Yes. Um, and it, you know, having Tim Burton on board was a big help. In the mm-hmm. same way, it was a big help to Alice in Wonderland in a different, you know, circumstance. Mm-hmm. Um, but I don't know what he does. I mean, I don't know what he does after this. I don't know what he wants to do after this. I'm, uh, you know, I'm, I'm stunned. It didn't happen. Uh, Warner trying to coax him to direct the Keaton Bat, old man Batman. Oh, just you wait. Well, I mean, I think that I wouldn't be surprised. Then they're wasting it with Flashpoint and having him like that. Like, I think that was supposed to be the start of 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 an ongoing relationship with that character yeah. slash actor. Yeah, because you know he was going to be in Batgirl, ha ha ha, and then he was going to be in Aquaman, but no, he's not uh, anymore. Yeah, so I mean, I think so. Yeah, you know, over the long run, I think there may have been a or you know, conversely, maybe Batgirl was supposed to be a de facto Batman Begins or Batman Beyond. I don't know. Yeah, yeah. Um, we may never know. <laughs> true, true. Uh, but um, yeah, I, I don't know where he goes. What? What he? I mean, he's sixty-four years old. He could just retire. He could. It'd be interesting wants to. to see someone actually retire. Um, yeah. And but, I mean, or find that a being said, he's. St- I, I think he still clearly has the artistic drive. You know, again, you don't do a project like Wednesday unless you want to work. Mm-hmm. I think maybe we're due for a smaller thing for him. Not because, willing because we've got. I mean, you know, as as much as I bitch about Netflix, you know, their movies. I mean, if they want to say thank mm-hmm. you by giving him thirty, forty million to do whatever the hell he wants. Yeah, I mean, yeah, because he. But like we have. We're in a string of Miss Peregrine, Dumbo, a bigger Netflix show. So maybe what what do you want to do, Tim? <laughs> what kind of small scale things you want to do? I'll uh, be another claymation movie. Yeah, we, that could that could be on board as well. We're kind of in that mix. Uh, so looking. Yeah. So let's, you know, uh, look, that's the future. But let's take a look back at what we did here. Uh, now that we've concluded all the films. What what have we learned about Tim Burton going from episode one of this to now? Like what? What are some of the things you've picked up on with him that? Well, I, I watching a lot of these. Obviously, I did not rewatch every single Tim Burton film. Alas, time is of the essence. But I, you know, and this is something you said right from the get go in that. His thoughts on suburbia are as present as the more stereotypical dark and macabre stuff. Yeah. I mean, that's that's just as much a part of who he is in terms of his signature and as his, you know, his mindset. Um 
beyond that, I mean, it's, it's something that I talked about when Dumbo came out is that, and I think this goes into Wednesday as well, is that one reason that Tim Burton became quote unquote uncool is because his specific signature basically got appropriated by the entire industry. Mm-hmm. Um, where, you know, the, the kind of quirky, kind of weird, great production design, scary, but in a kid-friendly way and a little bit rebellious in a conformist sort of way became basically the stock and trade of every Hollywood franchise. Right, right. Um, and of course, you know, again, he's 65 years old. I mean, he's 64 years old. He's been doing this for 30 some, um, you know, he's been doing this for almost 40 years. Right. Um, you know, you can't expect every filmmaker to, there are some filmmakers that that still, you know, like Spielberg, for example. Holy shit, he's still making movies like The Fablemans. He's got um, his his back to back West Side Story and The Fablemans is just unbelievable. I'm just like, yeah, wow. yeah. And um, you know, Scorsese's still kicking ass and taking names. Mm-hmm. Um, Ridley Scott. Yeah. And honestly, I I don't want to be too down on Burton because Dumbo is a very well made picture. Wednesday is very entertaining. Uh, Big Eyes is one of his best films. Yeah. And yeah, that was you know eight years ago, but you know it's it's he's been busy since then. Yeah, yeah. Um, so it's 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 complicated. Yeah, I I um, think I think too. Like I, I'm just really yeah. He's I like I've said through this his track. Like granted, it's hard to make like an out and out all timer classic in the way he was hitting with pop culture in the '90s. Um, but he's still making good stuff. Um, his well, stuff is still quality product when it from a technical like I, I learned from that, like dude's a master of the 185 frame. Yeah. And I can seriously just tell by how a shot is framed that he made the movie. And we're, we'll get into yeah. this next week, but there's an immediate difference in Wednesday once he's not directing it anymore. Yes. And even from the most basic touches, like he He's got interesting angles and there's a certain way he frames people that is uh, unique unto him that I could tell. Um, I also think as much as he gets credit for being grim and gothic, uh, that stereotype, he's very good with color. Yes. Very well, special with color. His yeah. movies are dark and gritty, but you would actually gr- dark and, and gloomy, but you can actually see what the hell's going on. True, but I think he's, <laughs> he flourishes with like like big yeah. eye, big eyes, very colorful. Oh movie. yeah, it's incredibly um, colorful. Edward Scissorhands is very, Edward Scissorhands. I mean, Charlie the, the Chocolate Factory. Your my eyes almost melted seeing that in IMAX. Yeah, dear he's, God, Alice in Wonderland. Like he is very good with color. Um, that's something you know in terms of a new thing. I probably would have enjoyed Alice in Wonderland a little bit more if I'd seen it in two D. Yeah. Because the three D did not do that film any favors, and for a lot of films in that time, it was not ready for that technology. Like, yeah, there's a lot of films that, uh, well, not the film, but like the theaters weren't. Yeah, depending on what theater you went to and who was working at the time, whether you got a good three D presentation or not. I mean, even the last Airbender, still a bad movie, but it looked better in two D. Yeah, yeah. Um, I think he's um, handled um, all facets of special effects quite well uh from from stop motion uh to practical effects to cg has been pretty solid across his career um because he knows if his cg is not going to be quite there he knows how to make it cartoonish enough to fit what he's doing and make it uh have a more um lasting thing so when you go back in time to look at old effects it still kind of works for it I think he's pretty good with that. Um, 
I like the Tim Burton players that he brings along quite a bit <laughs> uh, for things. And it was fun to see some people consistently, some people, some big distance. And when they like Keaton and Dumbo, that's like Batman, Beetlejuice, and then nothing till Dumbo. That's yeah, 20 years. Uh, well, oh. less than 20 because of Batman Returns. But yeah, um, yeah uh, just some fascinating stuff. Um, he's pretty good with kids. And yeah, I just yeah enjoyed going through his films what are what would you say your five favorite tim burton films are okay in order because i actually did this list a while back and since right. dumbo's i don't have that especially well. since dumbo's not in the top five um sleepy hollow four okay then batman then big eyes then batman returns and then ed wood all right yeah i've got no particular order but i have batman ed wood sleepy hollow Beetlejuice, Batman Returns, and if you're like, well, fucking goddamn Batman's, <laughs> yeah. I'll throw I'll throw a big fish on sure the yeah. next part of that. So, um, what was what's his weakest film? And I think uh, Planet of the Apes. Yeah, that I I, I was sitting there. I'm like, that, there's, <laughs> it's just there's no yeah, other it's, way it's... that I I know art and stuff is uh objective or, or whatever, but like. It's subjective, it's a but that, there's there's no way that is not I mean, his weakest film. Alice in Wonderland. Again, I can appreciate the production values and the cast and the colors and some of the macabre humor. Yeah. Um, I think it's a very well directed movie. I, just, I don't think it's a very strong screenplay, and I don't think the pace. I think the pacing's out of whack. Yeah. Dark Shadows doesn't work for me, but I I enjoy the cast. At least it's something a little bit different in terms of a mega budget soap opera that mm-hmm. looks and acts like a soap opera. And well, okay, but, we'll move on to what, what do you think is the most overlooked or underappreciated in his catalog? Well, I mean, Under, I mean, underrated, six well, I mean, underrated, I don't know, just because again, if you want to do underappreciated, I would say Big Fish and Big Eyes, yeah, because those are the kind of films that we all say Tim Burton should Fair be enough. making, and people bitch that he doesn't make anymore because they didn't see them. That's a good that angle. being said, most people who have seen those films will tell you that they're very good, yeah, so it's less underrated than it is underseen. Uh, underrated oh, for me for me this time around I, i'm gonna pick dark shadows i enjoyed that a lot That's more fair. than i did the first time i think it's his maybe his best looking film uh and i just kind of enjoyed watching everybody hang out play around and i feel like it understands dark shadows and i don't think people realize that and it's i think it i don't think it's some great that oh it's a unheralded masterpiece <laughs> or anything but it's a fine film and i think it was just like thrown in the garbage right upon release and didn't deserve that but um um oh i i, I think i'd give you an underrated uh charlie and the chocolate factory yeah that, a, i a flirted with that too colorful and vibrant and enjoyably acted and visually spectacular three-star movie that gets treated as one of the worst movies ever made yeah i i i, I flirted with that one or dark shadows but i'm like you know what i'm gonna go with dark shadows just because nobody yeah. i think that's a movie people want to forget or something but i'm like you know it's not bad yeah. And it and it looks really good. I like the people in it. Like I, I, I was I was vibing with that one this time around. More than I thought I was like, oh, here we go, Dark Shadows. And I found myself I found myself enjoying I even put it on the background as a second like when I was working on some stuff like after I had done my watch, um, just to kind of take it in again. So I was I was a bit a bit higher in that one. I'm not no, it's not up there with like Batman or the best yeah. things at all. Not even close, but um, at the bottom of the middle, like I, I like it 
it's probably one that's up there. So um, definitely. And yeah, I think people should see big eyes. I think people did see big fish, but big eyes, they really need to see. And I still, I yeah. still tell people and they don't even know what that is. I'm like, oh, no, it's a Tim Burton movie. It's really good. It's it came out at the end of a very strange year. Yeah. Um, I mean, in some ways, 2014 feels like the last year when, you know, the last year where just being a movie was enough. Right. You know, you, and you know, part of that was because, you know, Paul Walker died in late 2013, which meant Furious 7 got pushed to 2015. Mm-hmm. Uh, 50 Shades of Gary got pushed to 2015. The Good Dinosaur got pushed to 2015. As a result, overall box office is down, but you have a lot of, you know, non tentpole movies that were getting their chance to shine. Films like Lucy, yeah. that probably yeah. wouldn't have opened with $44 million in July of 2014 in right. a more crowded summer movie marketplace. True. Um, and, you know, it's the year ended with films like, you know, Angelina Jolie's Unbroken did pretty well, Into the Woods, which was a rare mm-hmm. Disney hit that wasn't one of their stereotypical Disney movies. Yeah. One of the last, frankly. Um, Into the Woods. And then, you know, the year ends with a giant clusterfuck that was the interview. Right. And everything going to hell in that regard. Right. Um, People fearing going to the theaters. Yes. Uh, but yeah. And uh, it's all downhill from there. Yeah. So, um, yeah, that'll do it. That wraps it up. Um, as one person might say about this re- retrospective of all the retrospectives of Tim Burton out there, this one is one of Tim Burton's best <laughs> retrospectives. <laughs> one of Tim Burton's best retrospectives. Uh, um, well, thank but, you, as always. This is yeah. another, there's an epilogue next week. Anyway. There's an epilogue next week. Oh. But uh, till the, Scott, where can people keep up with you? Uh, the rap. I have been at the wrap for about a month, so I'm slowly adjusting. And um, if you want to check out my old Forbes stuff, I've got four billion articles for the last nine years. Yeah. Um, but yeah, my new stuff's at the wrap and my Twitter thread. If you want to, you know, it's, that's still unfiltered Mendelssohn for better or worse. And at Scott Mendelssohn. All right, cool. And I'm on Twitter and Instagram at Brandon4KUHD. My written work is on YSOBlue.com. Scott and I will be back up to wrap this up and talk about Wednesday, which is, like as we said, a big, big show on Netflix. Uh, Friday of this week, though, I've got some a very special Christmas thingy for you to listen to uh, or or watch on YouTube. Um, it'll be uh, Press Maxson and I will be talking about a Muppet Christmas special from 1987. Uh, for those of you who want to hear something holiday inspired, um, but if you want the real holiday inspired, if Fablemans is playing, go see that Hanukkah movie, damn it. Uh, it rocks. Um, so, yeah, tune in then. And until then, stay film positive. Thank you for listening. The Brandon Peters Show is a Creative Zombie Studios production, produced by Brad Shoemaker and Brandon Peters. Written and edited by Brandon Peters. Announcer vocals by Jessica Alsman. Theme song by Metavari. Web design and show art by Brad Shoemaker with Brandon Peters. All music and clips featured in the episode are property of their respective studios and no infringement is intended. Additional information on this and other episodes at brandonpetersshow.com. For any inquiries, press opportunities, or sponsorship, contact mail at brandonpetershow.com.
The show is available on Apple Music, Spotify, or anywhere podcasts are found.